minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. Sorry about that. I put our mics down for a second. It is the Masson All Access Podcast. Brendan Mortensen, Paul Mancana. We're off to a flying start here on the podcast, trying to produce it and run it from our apartment in a foggy downtown Baltimore right now. So apologies there, Brendan. Yeah, we're off to a fun start. <laughs> this is going to be, I mean, we are coming uh, out heck swinging. Of a podcast. We're coming out swinging with the title of this podcast. We are just. We're, yeah, I mean, if you are, uh, if you're watching this, or even if you're listening to it, um, you know, we're going to be talking about Anthony Santander and the potential that he could be dealt. It is a a topic that has been thrown around recently by some in the Baltimore media, and a very real possibility. We're going to talk about that in a bit. So before you jump down our throats about that and get very upset at us for for talking about it, you can do that in just a second. Uh, Brendan, I got stuck in an elevator this week. You did. I did. And you told me about it, and I'm going to be honest, no, I laughed. No, and I, I didn't even tell you about it. I posted it on on my Snapchat story, my Instagram story, and you saw it, and you were like, oh, is that our apartment? And I said, no, it's our girlfriend's. And you said, ah, that was the most amount that you cared about that. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for just making correct. sure that I didn't die. Your roommate and well, podcast I mean, you're, you're here. So I assume it went okay. Process over results. I could have died in that elevator well paul let's, I could have let's hear about this near-death experience it was really not that exciting i was really kind of See? hoping it would be a great story and, and um, it's not it wasn't and an yet awesome we are leading the podcast with it it was a it was 25 minutes of my life where i just kind of i was just kind of there and uh i i do you get so you stood in one place for 25 minutes i thought about sitting because i was like if this thing if they accidentally cut well, a cord, this is riveting it is if they cut a cord here and this thing plummets. I mean, I'm hitting my head immediately on the ceiling, and right. that's lights out. Right. So, uh, but I was like, I don't want to seem informal when the fire truck opens the, you know, the, the, the fireman opens. Is there the door. a level of formality that you should have <laughs> when you're stuck in an elevator? There really is. I, I was not well dressed enough for the occasion. Um, there, I could hear as I was in, they said, oh, we're bringing the, the fire department here to get you and i could hear from inside the elevator two fire trucks come down the street and i thought boy i really hope there's not a fire going on in baltimore right now because i have just taken the two available fire trucks in the area <laughs> and for, uh, for a like really not a huge deal not a huge deal at all no in comparison no to at least if there was a fire if there was a fire yeah well that was a riveting story but they said is that mass and all access host Paul Mancano stuck in there? They did not say that. We got to send two fire trucks, they not just one. That. They did not say and, that. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm priority at that point. So anyway, I got out. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was uh, it's a life experience. It's a box I can check. But, uh, you know, not all that riveting. Well, Paul, I had something more riveting that I was hoping that we would lead the podcast with. Uh, some football happened over the weekend football uh, the nfc and afc championship games and and one of those teams that advanced to the super bowl the tampa bay buccaneers uh at the beginning of the nfl season paul and i went on this mass and all access podcast and we threw out our most spicy nfl takes and paul i request. believe yeah. i believe one of your takes surrounded those nfc champion tampa bay buccaneers should we play Did it not i think we should roll the tape that, that, that. That's my that's my spicy take. All right, my my sp spicy take is probably not all that spicy, which is that the Tampa Bay Bucks are gonna suck. There's just no way they can be good. There's just no way they can. Be I good. mean, there's a few ways they could be. No, good. you you take a 48 year old Tom Brady, a 90 year old Rob Gronkowski. Uh, they signed Leonard Fournette, who's never gonna be good, and never has been good. Oh, that team is just Leonard they, Fournette no, has he, is, he has never been good in his NFL career. <laughs> Great at LSU, just not good. That is a spicy. I, I see them winning four games. Four, four games. Four, maybe five. Maybe. I five. think the Bucks not living up to expectations this year would be if they win like eight games. But four, I think it's going to be funny because both the Bucks are going to be terrible and the Patriots are not not terrible but not good. 
And I stand by it. You stand by that take. <laughs> Overrated. I mean, what an easy path to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they're going to get their clocks cleaned by the Chiefs. Whew. Look, I may have underestimated 98-year-old Tom Brady. Just a bit. And 106-year-old Rob Gronkowski. Well, that's why we have an Orioles podcast and, and not, not a football, a football podcast. Yeah, if, look, if you're listening to me for any kind of advice... Don't at predictions, no nope. betting advice. Don't do it. Just don't do it. I am notoriously bad at fantasy football. Yep. Haven't made the playoffs. I'm pretty sure since high school. Yep. Uh, I had do not place bets on sports because you I know shouldn't. that I would be broke and bankrupt at this point. I am. I am very bad at sports predictions of all kinds. So even baseball, um, just don't listen to my advice. So for the rest of this podcast, just ignore you know, when I talk, just imagine the Charlie Brown parent voice, the wah, 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 wah. That went be from off. Paul can't predict what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do to, Paul to is worthless. you shouldn't listen to Paul about A- anything. anything. Nothing. Anything regarding anything. Nope. All right. Well, are you glad you got that, that uh, shot in there? I also, am. I'm pretty sure that your prediction, Brendan, which you, you know, kept out of that fun little clip there, was that Christian McCaffrey would break the all-purpose yards record. And we don't know if he would have if he had stayed healthy and for the he, entire season. But the thing season. is, he didn't. He I didn't. stand by my take. How many games stand did he it. end up playing? Like five? I think like three. I yeah. stand by my take because if Christian McCaffrey he was and his healthy, th- he could have. yards. You don't know. I, but he it could have. It didn't happen. Might have. It didn't happen. And uh, so don't listen to Brendan for, for advice either. Well, so, I guess we're both out then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I'm putting all my chips on the table on the Chiefs to win this thing. In the, uh, actually, who's your prediction? We're, I know we're two weeks away, so we got... I've got the Chiefs. The, you got the Chiefs? Yeah. I think Brady's going to pull. I just... I, I'm predicting that the Chiefs are going to win, but, like, I just feel in the back of my... Like, I thought Green Bay was going to win that game, but in the back of my head, I was like, there's just no way Brady will Well, I think the Chiefs game. sign Jonathan VR because he's a free agent, and then that puts them over the top. See... That was a great transition. Thank you. I thought it was natural. We talked about yeah. Jonathan VR on our last podcast. Um, the potential for the Orioles to bring him back in free agency and where he might fit with this team. And I, during the week, I was thinking about the fact that Hanser Alberto is still a free agent out there. I do think the Orioles will make some addition to their infield, whether it's a minor league or major league deal. And I thought, would you rather have Jonathan VR or Hanser Alberto inserted into this infield? Let's assume for now that they're the same price point because I have no idea what kind of deals these two guys would sign. I would guess one, one or two-year deals for both these guys. But if you had your pick, if you're Mike Elias and both these guys come at the same price, would you rather have Hanser Alberto or would you rather have Jonathan VR? I'd rather have Jonathan VR for a few reasons. Uh, first, I think VR is more highly regarded around the league. I think if the Orioles signed VR and he had a good start to 2021, he's a guy who could be dealt around the deadline. Whereas Hanser Alberto, I would have to imagine that Mike Elias at least fielded some calls for Hanser Alberto before parting ways with him this offseason to see if there was any interest around the league in trading for him. And you have to imagine that there probably wasn't much interest there or at least enough interest to start a trade with someone. I think VR is a little bit more dangerous at the plate. He's a better power hitter. And then once he's on base, he's a much better base stealer. And he plays a more valuable position at shortstop. I know they are kind of similar in their versatility where you could put VR at shortstop or second base. And Alberto, you could put at second base or third base. And I think for the Orioles needs right now, you would rather have somebody who could potentially play shortstop because that just fills a bigger need. It does. And I think I agree with you there in terms of the positional need because I would definitely feel more comfortable having Yolmer Sanchez at second and um, Jonathan VR at shortstop than I would about Hanser Alberto at second and Richie Martin at shortstop. You know, I, right. b- because you, if you don't sign a shortstop here, most likely I would think that the opening day shortstop is going to be Richie Martin. Most likely, yeah. I mean, can you think of another... Maybe Andrew Velasquez. Maybe I think the only way that Richie Martin isn't the opening day shortstop is if the Orioles sign a veteran free agent within the next right. few weeks. I, I, I mean, maybe Pat Faleka. 
I, I, but I think Pat Valeka is firmly entrenched as a utility guy right. at this point. I don't think that you would try Pat Valeka as your everyday shortstop. Right. And Pat Valeka did have his fair share of struggles defensively at the shortstop position. The other thing, though, I think it is kind of a domino effect with um, the other infield positions because how comfortable are you with Rio Ruiz at third base? Right. And if you do bring back Hanser Alberto, that probably gives you the flexibility to move Yolmer Sanchez from second base. We're kind of inserting him into second base for right now. You put Yolmer Sanchez at third base. Uh, you put Richie Martin still at shortstop, but now you have Hanser Alberto at second base. So it is kind of a domino effect. I think if you're just looking at not not fit, not need right now with this current team, I would personally rather have Hanser Alberto just because uh, I like him better as a player overall. Um, and, and I do feel better about his consistency and, and his ability to get on base. But like you said, how much is a team willing to give up for Hanser Alberto? If, if the Orioles are dangling him at the trade deadline... VR has a larger track record. He has more experience in the league. He's been around on other teams and had success with other teams. Alberto still only has really a two-year sample size for high production and really one and a half years considering the shortened season 2020. So will there would there be enough value for him outside of the organization? It's a good question to have uh, because that's how the Orioles, as we've said, have to approach every free agent is – not just how will he fit into this team and how will he help this team in the short term, but can we flip him eventually at the deadline? Right, and, and that's the thing with VR. I mean, he's been a part of two deadline deals yeah. over the last three years. And, and for pretty good prospects. Right. Uh, I think it was, the, it was Easton Lucas. Is that the guy that the Orioles got back, I believe, in the Jonathan VR trade with the Marlins originally? Yes. And then, the, and then obviously the Orioles acquired VR. Yes, yeah, and for the Jonathan Scope trade, and he's right. a part of that. And then, of course, the Blue Jays right. uh, acquired Jonathan VR for a pretty, I think, a top 30 prospect at that point. So you don't have that track record of Hanser Alberto being viewed around the league as a big enough trade piece to be added to a playoff contender, and a team trusts him to take over games in their infield. But I just like Alberto more, you know? I, I just... As as a player, as a as a uh, clubhouse guy, he would give us a lot of content. I, I think <laughs> all things equal, if you didn't pretty desperately need, not pretty desperately because I think Richie Martin will be better than people expect at shortstop this season, but if you didn't need a shortstop and all other things were equal, I think the Orioles would probably rather have Hanser Alberto back. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, he is such a presence in the clubhouse that you would like to retain him if possible. But I think because you need a shortstop and because Jonathan VR might still have a little bit more value around the rest of Major League Baseball if you're trying to flip him in a trade, I think VR probably makes more sense if the contracts are equal. If you can get Alberto for less than VR, yeah, then exactly. I would say bring Alberto back. Exactly. I think that that's what it'll probably come down to is the price point. And I think Alberto would probably be a little bit cheaper than J- Jonathan VR. But... We'll see. We'll see if either of those guys return to Baltimore. I do, again, think that the Orioles will make a move there. I just don't know who exactly it could be. And I don't know which position it could be. And we, in the meantime, have been slotting Yolmer Sanchez into the starting uh, infield, opening day infield. And that's not a given either. They just, you know, picked him up off waivers a few months ago. And they had some good things to say about him. But Brandon Hyde hasn't gotten to work with him at all yet. You know, we don't know... If the Orioles are high enough on him to give him an opening day slot, this could be a, a Andrew Velasquez, Richie Martin, Rio Ruiz infield. We have no idea. Right, but I mean, <laughs> or, the or Orioles, the Orioles aren't strangers to starting guys that they claimed off waivers. Sure. I mean, Hansel Alberto was claimed off waivers. Yep. Rio Ruiz was claimed off waivers. So I mean, they have, over the last few years under Michael Elias, been good at finding these guys yeah, on waivers and plugging them into positions that they need and they have been, like I said, over the last few years, known for that. All right, let's talk about the outfield and Anthony Santander. And now we're going to open up the chat to really uh, start to roast us at this yeah. point. Because As if that didn't happen to every podcast already. Obviously, Rock Kabako a few days ago wrote a piece on MassInSports.com about 
the possibility of an Anthony Santander trade. It's an idea that had been floated around before, floated publicly, I guess, before. He's coming off his best season with the Orioles, granted 37 games. But I think you have to have those conversations about almost every player on the roster when you're in the midst of this rebuild like the Orioles are. I think there are only a few guys on this current roster that are 100% safe. I think Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, and then prospects that haven't yet, maybe Austin Hayes. Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman, guys that haven't made their debuts yet. You know, the the Baumans, the Lowthers, the Wells. Those guys are all safe. Um, But other than that, everybody is pretty much available for the Orioles. And when it comes to Anthony Santander, he is right on the edge of being a guy that you could view as a long-term piece at the beginning of this rebuild or in the midst of this rebuild and being just old enough where you worry about his production carrying over to when these teams are eventually going to be good. Right. And we've talked about the outfield multiple times on this podcast and talked about how crowded it was. That was part of the reason that Renato Nunez was DFA'd at the beginning of this offseason was just that you would probably have guys from the outfield DHing and you wouldn't have room for Renato Nunez anymore. When you're looking down the line at this Orioles team, Yusniel Diaz is right on the cusp of making this major league roster. And he is probably going to be taking up one of those corner outfield spots. If you are committed to keeping Ryan Mountcastle in left field, I have argued that I think the Orioles would benefit from shifting him to first base. However, it seems like the O's, at least at the start of the season, have a plan to keep Ryan Mountcastle in left field. He wasn't bad out there. That's what Mike Elias said, I think, back during the winter meetings. Right. I mean, he wasn't a fantastic defensive left fielder, but you just didn't really notice him, which is a good thing, I suppose, because there weren't any issues in left field for Ryan Mountcastle. He was just fine. Considering he had really not a whole lot of experience playing the position... He, of course, was drafted as a third baseman shortstop. They tried him out at first, worked out pretty well, and then they said, all right, we have Trey Mancini at first base. Let's maybe think about using him in the outfield. And considering he only had, I think, maybe 70 or so games in the outfield in the minor league level, one year of experience there, I think I think he did, he performed fine. But more games, more sample size, right. would that be a problem? So at least for right now, Ryan Mountcastle yeah. seems to be the left fielder for the Orioles, which really muddies up the outfield a little bit because now where do you put Cedric Mullins if you want Cedric Mullins to be your starter? Where do you put Austin Hayes if you want Austin Hayes to start? If you want Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Anthony Santander to start in the outfield, you can't do that. There's only two spots if Ryan Mountcastle is your left fielder. And especially looking down the line, Yusniel Diaz is going to get called up soon. And then in a few years, you've got the number two overall pick, Heston Kerstad, who is hopefully going to be your right fielder of the future. So looks like down the line, Anthony Santander might kind of get pushed out. If Ryan Mountcastle sticks in left, if Kerstad and Yusniel Diaz are in right, and then Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes in center. And, And looking at it practically, if your ultimate plan... We don't know what Kerstad will turn into. We don't know what Diaz will turn into. We don't know if either of those guys can be long-term fixtures in a major league outfield. But if the Orioles want to give them a sufficient opportunity without relying on injuries just sapping time from other guys, in theory, it would make sense to trade a guy like Santander at the height of his value. And if they believe that this is the height of his value, that this is the best he would ever play in those 37 games when he was um, most valuable Oriole, when he was headed OPS close to 900, was carrying the Orioles offense for that month plus, if they believe that that is the best that they are going to see Anthony Santander, in theory, it makes sense to deal him. But I get the other side of the coin, which is he is the best or one of the best. We'll see when Trey Mancini comes back. John Means, of course, is still a very good pitcher. One of the best players on your current roster. Yes. And he's young. And he's young. And he is controllable. He just turned 26. Right. Which is is young. Right. Is young. And and for reference, I think Mountcastle is 24. Going to be 24 this season. So only two years younger. And we're talking about him being a long-term fixture. He is also controllable. Like you said, just his first year of arbitration this year. 
is going to be under arbitration for two more years after this. So there is a lot to like about him sticking around on this team. And nobody, there's no water gun to your head about dealing him. One of the things that we're talking about in terms of adding to Santander's value with the Orioles right now is that he is a young, talented outfielder who is arbitration eligible for the next few years with a controllable contract. And that is valuable to the Orioles. But the thing is, that's valuable to every team in Major League Baseball. And it increases his trade value. The fact that Anthony Santander is a young, talented outfielder who you can control. So not only is that valuable to the Orioles, but it's also valuable to another team that might be a little bit in a better position to win right now that could use a talented outfielder and one that they can potentially re-sign in a few years and still have some more years of value out of Santander. So not only does it increase his value on the Orioles as it currently stands, it also increases his value around the league, and you'd probably be able to get a pretty good trade package for him. Well, that's the perfect transition because we're going to talk about some trade partners that might make sense. But first, Brendan, what could the Orioles get back? in an Anthony Santander. What could they fetch in an Anthony Santander trade? Well, the one the one past deal that I looked at that was it's hard to find a comparison. It is very difficult. We were we were trying to find a comparison for this deal. And it's rare that teams teams just don't do it often. Right. They don't trade young, controllable, fairly productive outfielders at this point in their contract very often. Because Those guys are usually guys you hold on to, but the Orioles are in a unique position. And one team that we have compared the Orioles to a bunch of times because of similar market sizes and a team that has had a lot of success and it's kind of an optimistic future is the Tampa Bay Rays because they don't have the biggest payroll in the world. And yet they are able to find guys and develop guys throughout their system to the point where they can make a World Series run. Now, back in 2014, or 2013, excuse me, the Rays traded Rookie of the Year, Will Myers, one year removed from a Rookie of the Year. He had won that award at age 22, and he had had a bit of a down season, his age 23 season. Uh, he hit just 222 with a 614 OPS. But the year before, he was fantastic, showed a ton of potential, and he was, at that point, a corner outfielder. He's since moved down to first base. He had an incredibly controllable contract. He signed a contract extension with the Padres, which is the team that he was traded to in 2014. But he didn't even sign that extension until 2017, and Myers was arbitration eligible until 2019. So they traded him with basically five years of control left on his contract. And they got a haul for him. They got Jake Bowers, Rene Rivera, and Birch Smith went to the Tampa Bay Rays. And then it was an end up being a three-team trade where, funny enough, the Washington Nationals probably got the best part of that trade because they got Joe Ross and a player to be named later. That player to be named later turned out to be Trey Turner. So the Nationals ended up winning that trade. But the Padres had to give up a good amount to get Will Myers because not only was he a young, exciting player, he was a young, exciting player that you could control for a while. So I think that is probably the one deal that I can really think of that could be a basis of comparison because these young, talented players just don't get traded very often. And even that is not a perfect comparison. It's going to be impossible to find one of those because I remember at that time, Will Myers coming off that Rookie of the Year campaign was still kind of viewed as, I think at one point he was like number one prospect in baseball level. He was viewed as a very high-level prospect, which Anthony Santander has never been. He's a Rule 5 draft pick, so that shows you what other teams in the league thought of him. He's somebody who kind of built his value through productive season after productive season with the Orioles. Um, whereas Will Myers was more, had, you know, one productive season, another season not so productive, but had uh, viewed around the league as having immense potential. Right, he had the reputation, whereas Anthony Santander, while the Orioles like him, and I know Orioles fans think that he has a lot of potential because he has grown pretty well over the last few years, he doesn't have the same potential as a star prospect that somebody like Will Myers did. Yeah, the only kind of, comparisons and these are again not perfect comparisons I could think of was Tommy Pham maybe being traded by the Rays where he was still several years away from free agency he's a little bit older than Santander he was 29 at the time but was a very productive outfielder Um, was in the midst of a down year when he was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals Um, coming off a great year and was you know 
not having a great year when he was dealt. So he was a comparison. You went to Cespedes, who was a much better player at the time when he was with Oakland and a little bit older than Anthony Santander. But another case where the team didn't have to trade him. The Rays didn't have to trade Tommy Pham. The Oakland A's didn't have to trade Yuenes Cespedes, but they did it. Um, and because they thought that those guys might be at the peak of their value, and they thought they were not in the cycle of contending to the point where they thought that they needed those guys in the in the short term. And it's kind of interesting, too, when you look at the Anthony Santander situation. Michael Elias has talked about, in terms of free agency, he's kind of said that we want to make sure that we're signing players that are going to keep us you know, winning games at the major league level. However, we don't want to sign guys that are going to be blocking prospects that are coming up throughout the next few years. Yes. Anthony Santander is not a free agent, obviously. He is somebody that the Orioles have the potential to re-sign in a few years. But does he almost turn into that similar thinking, like you would think in free agency, where you don't want him to block prospects that could be coming up throughout the next few years because you have two really talented right field prospects that are going to be debuting over the next few years in Yusniel Diaz probably this year and then Heston Kerstad down the line it's tough to bank on those two being fantastic but at one point Yusniel Diaz was their number one prospect in the entire system and as soon as Adley Rutschman is called up and loses his prospect status Heston Kerstad is probably going to be the number one prospect in the Orioles system which means you could have two right field prospects that were at one time the best prospect in the system right and other there are other factors like you said with Ryan Mountcastle maybe Mountcastle moves to first full-time maybe that opens up a spot in left field you could move Austin Hayes. You could try using Neil Diaz out in left field um, that you could keep a spot. So there still is not a whole lot of pressure. But given the deals that you that we just talked about, the Tommy Pham deal, the Ioannis Cespedes deal, the Will Myers deal, what kind of return do you think the Orioles could expect in a deal where they would be trading away their 26-year-old right fielder? Well, look, personally, I am not incredibly keen on trading Anthony Santander because I think he has a lot of potential. We love the guy. We, we love Anthony Santander, and if you're the Orioles at this point, you don't want to have to trade guys at the major league level who are both young and good. And I don't think fans want to either because at the surface level, Anthony Santander, we've said it time and time and again, is a young, controllable, talented outfielder. But if you are going to deal him, I had a pretty hefty price personally. I think that if you were going to get a return for Santander, I would need at least one top 15 prospect, at least one prospect that is close to if not in the top 30, meaning they are maybe hovering somewhere around the 25 to 30 range in the prospect rankings. Because for the Orioles, if you are getting a prospect that's around 25 to 30, that's probably not in the Orioles' top 30 because they have such a deep system at this point. And then we know Michael Elias is trying to build up uh, you know, the Dominican Summer League team. So I would probably throw in one far off but hopefully promising Dominican Summer League prospects. So those would be the three pieces that I would look for in an Anthony Santander trade. Yeah, I think they could go with either quantity or quality here. Right. We have seen them go with quantity. An example would be the Dylan Bundy trade. They get four prospects back, none of whom cracked the top 30, but four guys as opposed to one top guy. They could go with uh, quality. I would look to a Miguel Castro trade as an example of that where they ended up getting, I think they got two technically because they got Kevin Smith from the Mets, Mm -hmm. who fit right into their top 15 prospects. I think he fit into number 12 in their system. And maybe they got a Dominican Summer League player as a throw-in, a lower-level guy. But essentially, they were going with quality there. So to me, they either have to get quantity or quality. If they're going to go with quantity, they have to get three or four guys who are not going to be in that top 30. Right. And first of all... As we're discussing this trade, I would just like to say that this is a real testament to the Orioles' development and the Orioles' coaching. The fact that Anthony Santander was a Rule 5 draftee, and he has now turned into a piece that the Orioles could potentially flip for a few very good prospects. Yeah, he he is definitely similar to how Michael Givens was a testament to the Orioles' development system. Santander fits that category as well. Yes. And, a lot, and a lot, of course, 
is is um, credit to him for building himself up that way. Absolutely. Um, if you're going to so if you're going to go with quantity, I think it has to be three or four prospects who are not in the top thirty. And if you're going to go with quality, I would like somebody like you said that is it. You said top fifteen going to be in your system. I'd say you know maybe top twenty five, top twenty. Um, I think that would be okay because of where the Orioles system is now. I think you you have to get either one of those things if you're going to be moving Anthony Santander. And I think that because of all the reasons we listed, I think Michael Ice will have a similarly high price point when it comes to Santander. All right, let's talk about which teams might be willing to surrender those prospects in a trade. The name of the team that we have heard the most connected to Santander is the Miami Marlins. And those were reports, I believe... Uh, John Heyman, and I think our own MassInSports.com's Rockabaco connected the Marlins to Anthony Santander. Um, the Marlins, I think, make sense because, look, one year ago when Jonathan VR was traded to the Marlins, it was a similar type deal. It was um, a guy that, you know, they thought that there is, they're not going to go out and spend big bucks in free agency. They're not at that point in their rebuild. They're a little bit further along than the Orioles in their rebuild. So they want some guys who can contribute. They feel like they can compete for maybe a wild card spot. And they want somebody who is going to be with them probably for a few years. So not just a stopgap who is going to get them over the top and get them back to the playoffs. They're looking for somebody who they think this guy can be our right fielder for a few years. And because he is cheap. He comes with arbitration-level salary. He's not going to be the level of a George Springer of a Michael Brantley where they would have to go out in free agency and grab somebody. So I think the Marlins, for those reasons, I think that's why they're interested and that's why they've been connected to Santander. Yeah, I had a potential trade with the Marlins. Uh, The Orioles would trade Santander to Miami, and in return they would get uh, their number 12 overall prospect as a second-round pick this year, uh, lefty Dax Fulton. He would probably slot in as the third or fourth best lefty in the Orioles rotation, but he's pretty far off and he has room to grow. And I think he has the potential to turn into maybe even the second best lefty in the Orioles system. Uh, Number 28 prospect, Victor Mesa Jr., who was an international signing last year, was actually the lesser of the prospects that were signed between him and his brother, Victor Victor Mesa, uh, Victor Mesa Jr., their number 28 overall outfield prospect, and then a Dominican Summer League prospect. Yeah. I think, I think Michael Elias, no matter what trade gets done, will just throw in one of those guys. And he, and he has said that before. He said, we always look for a throw-in. It's like a, in the NBA, it's like a, a second-round pick being thrown in at the end because right. it, they are just lottery picks, um, essentially. These guys right. are so young, and um, you know, oftentimes the, the guys that get thrown in are not highly regarded, but they might have a higher ceiling because of their age. And there's just not as much known about these guys considering they're 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, So you might as well, because they have struggled so long uh, in that international market, you might as well try to build up your system by just getting throw-ins and trades. Right. Um, Yeah, I think those are two. I could see either of those deals going down. I like Dax Fulton because he's a recent pick. So we've, you know, we've done some research on him. I could see the Orioles, if they're going to do this deal, for whatever reason, I could just see them making this move with uh, somebody who, for a prospect who is a lower level prospect, you know, somebody who is several years away from the bigs. Because if they do, let's say they do this deal for like a higher level outfielder prospect. Why? They're going to have the same problem yeah. that they already have. Yeah. So, I mean, they, I could see them going pitching. Um, but I, I most likely would see them looking for a lower level prospect yeah. um, at this point. So my, Miami makes sense. What other teams do you think might make sense as trade partners? Yeah, another team I had was the Minnesota Twins. Okay. Uh, the Twins need a corner outfielder. They got rid of Eddie Rosario this offseason, and they have a hole in left field. I don't know if Santander would shift over to left, or they could move Max Kepler over to left. They could arrange their outfield somehow. But the Twins are obviously an American League team that is competing right now. And because Santander is a... You're not trading a prospect at this point. Santander would help the Twins pretty much right away. And I think they would be able to give up a good package to get Santander. So the mock trade that I have (laughs) is the Twins trading their number 10 pitching prospect, uh, Blaine Enloe, 
He's two years away. He could be a starting. He's two years old. <laughs> he is two years old. He's uh, probably two years away from the majors. He could be a rotation arm. Uh, he would probably slot in as I think the second or third best righty in the Orioles system. They would also trade their number twenty six overall prospect uh, is a catcher Ben Rortvit. Okay. Uh, he is a glove first backstop who is pretty much MLB ready, so he could serve as a backup catcher if you want to move either Pedro Severino or Chance Cisco, and then again a Dominican summer league prospect. I like those deals. I think the Twins might be willing to give up a little bit more to outbid somebody else because the Twins are competing or in the American bit. League, and they are. I don't think the the Twins are desperate right now, but they haven't won a playoff game in forever. I don't think they're desperate, but if they have a chance to get a position of need for cheap without spending a lot of money in free agency, I think the Twins would be all over that. And they are in a suddenly very deep division. Right. With the White Sox are breathing right down their throat. So um, I could see the Twins being a a candidate there. I could also see the Braves being a potential candidate. Uh, Nick Markakis is now a free agent, which, by the way, we never talked about would be fun if Nick Markakis came back. That would be fun. But for all the reasons we just talked about, they don't need a right fielder. Right. Um, But... Marquecas is a free agent. They have some depth. They have Ozuna, um, but they could potentially look for maybe a little bit of depth because they um, are a team that is in another tough division. Um, Miami, for similar reasons, is is going to be competitive in that division. Um, you know, you have the Mets on the rise now, maybe looking for uh, a bite of the division crown, and you still have the Nationals in that division. So I think they might be looking for some kind of depth. Uh, in their outfield. Another team that I had, which it depends on where they are and where they think they are, is Cleveland. Because I don't know if they're in the full rebuild quite yet. I think that they probably don't want to tear it all down at this point. Obviously, the Francisco Lindor trade signals that they're not 100% competing. But I think that Santander could make sense to them because their outfield production has been so, so poor for the past several years. They have Josh Naylor, really, as their starting outfielder. Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, like, not good talent in the outfield. So I could see them, and for similar reasons, if they want to take a step back in 2021 and then get right back into the fold in 2022, Santander makes sense because he would he could help them over the course of his contract. Yeah, and the last team that I had that I thought might be interested in a Santander trade was the Philadelphia Phillies because the Phillies are kind of in this precarious spot where they seem to think that they are competing and they're not really so... That's a lot of teams right now yeah. in baseball. Yeah, a lot, like a lot of teams in baseball, but the Phillies could use help in the outfield, and I think they could be a team that could trade for Santander as well. I'm going to sound like a broken record going through the trade again, but I have them trading their number 10 overall prospect, who is a left-handed pitcher, their number 29 overall prospect, who is a shortstop, and then another Dominican Summer League player. Okay. So all my all of my trades are pretty similar. Yeah, and Cleveland, by the way, would be the team that let him go in the Rule 5 draft, so right. I think that would be fun for certain reasons. One other team I just want to throw out there, I could see the Astros being a, a team, mm-hmm. uh, considering they just lost George Springer. I know he's a center fielder, but um, they're bringing back Brantley. What, what exactly is their plan? They have Kyle Tucker in the outfield. They don't really have a true center fielder on their roster. The Astros probably, again, one of those teams that, thinks they're competing and probably won't end yes. up and doing so. I'm glad you brought up the Phillies and we talked about the Marlins and the Braves. National League teams, we still don't 100% know if the DH is coming to the National League. We don't think it is at this point because we've heard reports about a rejected offer, I think, from the Players Association right. and no counter offer. But we still don't have 100% knowledge of what the season is going to look like DH-wise, doubleheader-wise, uh, runner on second and extra innings. We don't have 100% answers on any of that stuff. So if the DH somehow gets pulled out at the last minute negotiations and thrown in uh, to the National League, then I think this market explodes for Anthony Santander because teams like the Phillies, even if they don't view, you know, maybe they don't have a spot in right field. They have Bryce Harper in right field, but maybe they need a DH all of a sudden and they think Santander can fit in there. Or other teams like, you know, the Braves. Maybe they want to stick uh, Santander in right field and put their everyday right fielder as a DH. So I think that this market could explode, but it's looking like there's going to be no DH in the NL. Yeah, and we have a comment from Andy on Facebook that says, guessing we're just waiting for Adley to come up to build around him and Mountcastle. Yeah, 
That's, pre- that's pretty much it. Him and Mountcastle, and it just so happens that the other top prospects in the system are coming up around the same time. Him, Mountcastle, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. Right. Has it's, it's that timetable, though. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is the Adley Rutschman, Ryan Mountcastle timetable. And Anthony Santander, there is a possibility that he is just slightly ahead of that timetable, and Michael Elias and company might be better suited just sticking with their prospects and going with Yusniel Diaz and Heston Kerstad rather than re-signing Anthony Santander down the line. One possibility I have here and I thought about, what if the Orioles try to use a Santander trade to attach Alex Cobb Ooh. as a piece? I do think they still want to trade Alex Cobb. I don't think that contract is particularly palatable considering it has a lot of deferred money right. and teams are looking to cut costs across the league. But maybe you include Anthony Santander in a deal for Alex Cobb. A team gets, I could see it being similar to, obviously not the same exact situation, but remember David Price was included in the Mookie Betts trade trade as a less than palatable option for the Dodgers because he was, had been injured recently, declining production, and a huge price point. They just wanted to get off of his money. That deal was a bad deal for the Red Sox. But the, the similar deal, you know, the uh, the similar idea that, hey, let's put Santander, who is a great asset, Alex Cobb, who is not a great asset, give them to a contending team, and now all of a sudden they have a good young outfielder and they have a four or five starter if they need him. Yeah, I could see it, but the only thing there is that you, if you are including Alex Cobb in an Anthony Santander trade, Cobb is probably bringing down the value of that Santander trade a little bit, which means that you're more or less conceding that you probably won't be able to deal Alex Cobb on his own based on the fact that a contender might need a back end of their rotation starting pitcher. You're pretty much saying, okay, the Alex Cobb contract wasn't good. It's such a bad asset. And we... We just don't want it anymore, and we are conceding that we probably won't be able to deal it on its own. I think there's a chance that they still could deal it on its own, but if Michael Elias has gotten the vibe from around the league that Alex Cobb's contract on its own just is not tradable and isn't worth going to con- to a contender, then maybe maybe yep. you throw it in, but it probably hurts Santander's value because you're it does yes you're getting an outfielder that you can control, but you're also getting a lot of bad money right exactly which is is we don't know exactly what the league thinks of Cobb I think he's trending that way like I think that contract is still not viewed as a positive asset right and I think if this were normal times I think that contract might be more palatable to teams and they might be more willing to swallow that but because we're seeing even the biggest of contenders the Yankees just traded (laughs) One of their best relievers yesterday to get under the luxury tax, you know, to the Red Sox, to their their rival. Yeah. So these teams are really looking to shed money. So maybe it's gotten to the point where Alex Cobb is not worth the contract that he's on for any team. But it's a possibility. But, you know, we're. I don't think the Orioles have reached that point yet. I still think they want to give him some more starts in 2021 to maybe boost his value, maybe make that contract make a little more sense. And then they can trade him. And there's only, what, this is the last year of the Alex Cobb deal. It is, but the, the problem is he's got that backloaded money. Right. Yeah. So worst case scenario, well, not worst case scenario, but I think there's a chance that Cobb stays on the team for the season and you probably just have to eat that money. Right. I, I think that they, they are trying to avoid that. Right. At all costs. Right. Um, but that being said, yeah, do you want your biggest, maybe best trade piece right now, the return attached of that with trade Alex Cobb. Right. to have been lessened because you were attaching a negative value asset to that deal. Well, I guess we'll see. Well, I guess we'll see. Paul, water gun to your head right now. Do you want to trade Anthony Santos? No, I don't. I don't. And I don't think they need to. Um, but the bigger, better question, water gun to your head, do you think they do before opening day? I say yes. I think. I think. It, I, think, I, think yeah. it, it, I think it is going to happen. I think they do. Um, which is we have, That's just a guess. Which we have no inside knowledge. As I'm saying it out loud, I think is slightly disappointing to say out loud, and I would understand why Orioles fans would be disappointed if that happens. But 
if you are blown away by an Anthony Santander trade, not only are you getting hopefully really good pieces in return, you are also opening up spots for Yusniel Diaz, for Ryan McKenna, who we haven't really touched on on this podcast, and for Heston Kerstad a few years down the line. So don't panic if Anthony Santander is traded because hopefully that means you got a really good return and you are now giving somebody like Yusniel Diaz a lot more opportunity in the corner outfield. If they do trade him before opening day, who is the Orioles' opening day outfield left to right? I think left field Ryan Mountcastle, center field Cedric Mullins, who really came on last year, and right field Austin Hayes. I think Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins both give you really good value in center, and you want to keep them both in the outfield. I have argued this because of their defensive value. And then you've still got Ryan McKenna as your fourth outfielder. I think he makes the opening day roster. And then hopefully use Neil Diaz comes up at some point in the season. And that's a really solid five-man outfield. If the plan is to keep Ryan Mountcastle in left field, if the plan is to move him down to first base, then it's not as strong of an outfield. But if the plan is to keep Ryan Mountcastle in left field, which admittedly I have argued against, then it makes sense to make room for the rest of these guys. Yeah, I, I would agree left left to right. I think that's I think it would be Mountcastle, Mullins, Hayes. And I do think the opening day outfield, regardless of what happens before opening day, I think the opening day outfield will be different from the outfield that we will see on the final weekend of the regular season. Oh, absolutely. Season. And regardless, honestly, if Anthony Santander is traded or not, It might go from a great outfield to a good outfield, but either way, I think it's going to be a really solid outfield. If Austin Hayes is able to stay healthy, if Cedric Mullins keeps trending in the right direction, and if Ryan Mountcastle keeps playing like the stud he looked like last year, it's still going to be a good outfield, even without Anthony Santander. It's amazing. I feel like we almost haven't talked about Mountcastle enough this offseason because we're just, he was so good in those 33 games that we just pencil him in. We we put him in in. Sharpie at this point. Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of at least the near future of the Orioles because he was that good. I mean, he was that good that he showed so much potential that it's not a position that we have to, you have to worry about. You know, whether it's left or first, we feel very good that he is going to be incredibly productive offensively in the future. All right. Um, Let us know what you think in terms of whether the Orioles should trade Anthony Santander, which teams you think might be interested, and what you think the Orioles could get in an Anthony Santander trade. Brandon, we teased last podcast about the the all-pasta draft. (laughs) This is what the people came to listen to. We did the all-Camden Yards draft. We saw some ideas. I think we might eventually do the all-Memorial Stadium draft. Ooh, which would be very fun. That would be fun. All Earl Weaver draft. We're trying to draft. All Orioles drafty We're trying. Yes. Yeah. All Orioles draft draft. All Orioles draft draft. All Orioles draft draft. And now we're going to do the pasta podcast or the pasta cast. Pasta cast. Which we joked about. Draft. If you give us anything, we will draft it. We have made that promise to and you. The more stupid that it is, we the, the less time we spend on it. Is it more stupid or stupider? Exactly. All right. Uh. Let's do a three-round pasta draft, Brendan. Let's do it. Real quick. People are going to be, I mean, uh, the comments are just going to be exploding. Yes. Uh, Positively or negatively. Brendan, you have the first pick. This is a three-round pasta draft. Give me your best pasta, and and we'll do this rapid fire. Uh, My first overall pick is penne because I am basic, and it is a staple. Penne goes first. I think penne is the right pick at that point. I think the value is, is too great to pass up. Now, because it's a snake draft, I have two, three at this point. And I've been thinking about it. I have my big board. Yeah. Tricolor Rotini goes right off the board. It has to. Too. Yep. Um, you have the taste. You have the color. You have the flavor. Can go, can't go. can go with a whole lot of sauces, so it's not versatile. But Tricolor Rotini, for what you're getting, bang for your buck, yep. is my number two pick. Yep. My number three pick, Jamelli. Wow. They are the little twisties. They are The compact. little twisty guys. They're compact. Yeah. So you get, you know, a bowl full and you get, a, you know, a full stomach. I like Jamelli. Excellent in butter. They're my number three overall. Player. Well, I'm going to be honest. I have destroyed you in this pasta draft because my next two picks, I have the snake draft. Uh, it's going to be spaghetti because, I mean, that's just classic. I, you can't so not pick spaghetti. I'm not a You're fan of wrong. long pasta. You're I'm wrong. I'm not a fan of um, long pasta. And then my next pick is going to be tortellini. <laughs> just hammer home tortellini. And now I have... Tortellini was fourth on my big board. Look about it. Look at it. Okay, I have got penne. That's the classic. I've got spaghetti. We want spaghetti and meatballs. You know where to find me. And then I've got tortellini. I have three diverse pastas, and 
I could not be happier with how my draft went. And no matter who, what pasta you pick with your last pick, I have won. What I like That's about the conclusion. What I like about your three-team pasta draft here, Brendan, is that all three go well in different sauces. And I think yeah. you could get one sauce. You could just get a marinara, a red sauce, and you could eat penne, tortellini, and spaghetti with marinara. You get an Alfredo, you could eat penne. All of tortell- them. Well, maybe that's a little too much cheese with tortellini. But tortellini, Alfredo, is that a thing? I don't know. It sounds it. good. All right. My, Mr. All I know is that I won. My final pick. I like fusilli. I like radiatore. You're I like orfette. I'm going to go with ravioli. That's a good go pick. With, I need a cheesy pasta to compete with your cheesy pasta. Tortellini is better than ravioli. That's hands down. I've seen him at the combine. He just... The 40 is better. The athleticism is better. I think that he is a better pick. However, left with the option, I think ravioli, another excellent pasta. Let me just say that... It's my Mel Kuyper Jr. No macaroni is bogus. No mac and cheese? Wow. No mac and cheese? What do you mean? We don't have macaroni. Nobody drafted macaroni. Macaroni just means pasta. It's all macaroni noodles, Paul. Like the the shells? Macaroni just means pasta. Unbelievable. All right. That's our three-team pasta draft. Give us anything, we'll draft it. We will draft anything on the planet. Um, all right, that just about does it for the Madison All <laughs> Access podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, thanks so much for the comments. Again, please be nice to each other in the comments. Don't comment anything utterly mean and something that your grandmother would not like to see you comment. Um, and I think that goes with all social media. I think we could all be a little bit nicer to each other, so please keep that in mind in our comments. Um, as well. Uh, but for those of you who have been following along, who have been saying nice, good things, uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Brendan, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Brendan Morty. And I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks, of course, to Hannah Broder, who's doing a terrific job, as always, behind the scenes running our social media. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back in about a week. We are just a few weeks away from spring training, crazy enough. Whew. We, may well, we to, hope so. We hope so. We may have to do some spring training takes um, at some point. Hopefully can, they aren't as bad as your Tampa Bay Buccaneers take. No, I don't think anything tops that. I don't think it will. All right. We'll see you later. 